0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, both Aaron and I are here. It is Saturday morning. Sorry about yesterday. We had some technical issues, and then I had an afternoon commitment that I couldn't get out of. It's better anyway, because if you are following this Antonio Brown story, it just got even worse crazier. Maybe by the time you listen, actually, by the time you listen to this, we'll probably have two to three uh, updates on this story that we would have missed. But this morning, after releasing the video last night, I don't know if you saw it, it was, by the way, Nike commercial-esque. I thought after watching this video of Antonio Brown playing a recorded conversation between himself and And John Gruden, without, by the way, John Gruden's consent, even though John Gruden said after seeing the video, it was awesome. That was his quote. Uh, He has now released something on Instagram just moments ago this morning. He said, you are going to piss a lot of people off when you start doing what's best for you, and that's fine. I've worked my whole life to prove that the system is blind to see talent like mine's like minds. Now that everyone sees it, they want me to conform to the same system that has failed me all those years. I'm not mad at anyone. I'm just asking for the freedom to prove them all wrong. Release me at Raiders. Hashtag no more. Now he wants to be released. This is unbelievable. I I think he's either on serious meds or, or illegal drugs, or he might be schizophrenic. There's something terribly wrong with this person, clearly. Um, but never, ever in the history of this Monday night doubleheader, Aaron, since they've gone to that Monday night, you know, the early game, late game, first week of the year, never has that latter game, you know, the one that starts at ten fifteen, ever been more interesting and maybe more anticipated if he plays in it than Raiders hosting Broncos at ten fifteen Eastern. On Monday night. Who, who would I'll have, be up for that.
1: Yeah, who would have thought two months ago that the Saints and Texans would just be an afterthought, uh, complete afterthought on Monday?
0: I mean, he is, I mean, we've got a lot of things working here. We've got clear insubordination. You have actually a two-consent state in California on recording a conversation. If Gruden didn't consent... Uh, he could actually press charges Assuming against that's Antonio actually Gruden
1: Brown. which at this it, point, that was
0: Gruden that seemed like a real conversation it,
1: it absolutely did but at this point nothing would surprise me and
0: that came hours after you know this apparent you know apology to the team from Antonio Brown and the acceptance of the apology by the team and then them saying yeah he's going to play on monday night this is crazy mike jones will join us from usa today we'll talk more about that coming up i've got a lot of things to to knock out for you including getting a smell here to the front of the show, um, here in a moment. I've got a Redskin season prediction, keys to beating the Eagles, uh, a couple of prop bets for the NFL season, a look at the weekend card uh, as well. Tim Murray, my good friend uh, from NBC Sports Washington, from the show The Daily Line, which Aaron produces, is going to be on the show. Um, we had a lengthy conversation yesterday about college football um, and gambling and NFL prop bets, so you'll hear that at the end of the show. Uh, here uh, as well. Um, Real quick uh, thought though on the Nationals. Um, The game um, that uh, they had last night uh, against the Braves, they lost four to three. That means now they're nine back. Right? They've also lost four of their last five games. And the game they won was the franchise all-time comeback earlier in the week against the Mets when they were down ten four and scored seven in the ninth. So they could actually be very easily in the midst of a five-game losing skid. But the division race is over. Atlanta's nine up now. It's over. The Nats just need to go for this wild card spot, hopefully the top wild card spot. But even the wild card race with the Nats losing four or five has gotten interesting they're just two up on the Cubs for that first spot and now just four and a half up on surging Arizona for the second spot they need a win today or tomorrow uh, to stop the bleeding what a home run last night by Ryan Zimmerman who's got two homers in four games back that got him to four to three they couldn't get anything off Shane Green in the ninth who by the way Aaron remember when they made the trade for Shane Green everybody's like that's a big acquisition and he totally you know, totally S the bed for the first couple of weeks. And now in the last six games, he's given up no runs, one hit in the last six games. I'm sorry, no hits in the last six games and just one walk over the last six for Shane Green. So they have a closer now, it would appear as well. All right, let's get right to the smell test so that if you're listening to this, you can get your plays in today. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite.
1: It's, it's time for the smell test.
0: All right. Apologies if you didn't get this uh, on the radio show yesterday. I did give out a winner for last night, Marshall plus 12, which actually went off 13, 13 and a half. I bought the half point at 13 and a half and played it at a plus 14 last night. And they lost 14 to seven. One of those games, Aaron, I don't know if you were paying attention. Boise was driving late. Um, There were a couple of broken tackles, near runs for touchdowns, and then the quarterback actually got a first down fumble. I I was actually surprised that 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 wasn't overturned on the field. Um For a first down, and then, with a minute and a half to go uh and Marshall having no timeouts, fortunately, they took a knee the rest of the way, and they won fourteen seven i 'm two and two on the year after a one and two week last week um real quickly, just so you know i 'm not giving out Maryland today they 're minus one and a half, minus two right now somewhere in that area over syracuse they 're really not in the smell test because there 's too much action that's split. And the sharp action now is coming back on Syracuse a little bit here late. It was so heavy on Maryland early in the week, it it moved the line from plus two and a half to minus two and a half. And now it's back in the minus one range, which tells you that, you know, you had a ton of sharp money play Maryland early. And now they're buying it back because it's an attractive number to play Syracuse at plus two and a half, plus two. Uh, In that range, and probably a ton of what they call middling action going on. Where you know you had Maryland at plus two and a half, and now you're trying to get Maryland um, at uh, you're trying to you know you 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 had Maryland at plus two and a half, and now you're trying to get Syracuse at plus two plus one and a half. You know, creating somewhere in the neighborhood of a three and a half to four point middle, and you're hoping the game falls in that. You know, one-point range, two-point range, and if it falls outside of it, all you do is lose juice. I'm sorry I'm not going to sit here and explain what all of that means to the people that aren't interested. That would be a difficult one. I had somebody um, tweet me the other day, and he said, I'm about to make my first bet, and I see Redskins plus 10. What does that mean? And I simply said, Aaron, I said, if you bet on the Redskins and they lose by less than 10 or win the game, you win – if the Eagles win by more than ten, you lose, and if the Eagles win by ten, you push. And he said, "What does push mean?" So I said, "You tie. You don't win. You don't lose." Um, I think for now that's the most we're gonna we're gonna give. It's it's hard to explain a lot of the other stuff, but you'll figure it out if you start wagering. Which, by the way, none of us would recommend. Um, it is not for the faint of heart. All right, here is the rest of the smell test. I did I did give out Boise last night, which was a winner. Uh, sorry if you didn't get that I like Missouri today minus 14 against West Virginia these uh, the numbers I'm using and I haven't looked at the numbers this morning Aaron if they've changed a lot but I'm going to use the numbers that I gave out yesterday per covers.com Missouri lost last week West Virginia won West Virginia I'm going to tell you right now Mountaineer fans not a good team this year they barely beat James Madison last week not that that's a bad win You know, because it was close. James Madison's very good at the FCS level. Um, Missouri is laying a big number, and the public loves West Virginia. Take Missouri minus the 14. There's an 11 a.m. start this morning on the ACC network, which some of you get, some cable systems have. Mine does not. Ohio's getting four at Pitt. Pitt must be awful, uh, Aaron, uh, to only be laying four to a MAC team. Take Ohio plus the four. Auburn had that emotional win last week against Oregon, the comeback. They're laying 17 at home against Tulane. Tulane is a better team. This may be one of their better teams in years. Take Tulane plus 17. The public loves Auburn. Late night tonight, I like Cal plus 14 at Washington. Cal's got a very good defense this year. We're going to find out about Washington tonight. If they obliterate Cal, they probably are for real. Um, I think Cal keeps it close. Take them plus 14. And if all of this fails, you've got the Hawaii game late night tonight, 11.59 p.m. kickoff in Honolulu. I like Oregon State plus 5 at Hawaii. I think Oregon State is going to have a decent year compared to some of the years they've had recently. I had them last week in the smell test, plus 14 against Oklahoma State. They missed two extra points. Missed two PATs, and they lost by 16. So it should have or could have been a a push for sure. NFL. Tomorrow I like the Panthers plus one and a half against the Rams. The Panthers are one of my surprise teams. I gave them out as a playoff team in the NFC. I think the Rams are going to be the team of the three or four that everybody deems to be elite. You know, Rams, Saints, Chiefs, Patriots. I have a feeling it's going to be the Rams that take a step back this year. I like the Panthers plus one and a half. I like the Jags plus three and a half against the Chiefs tomorrow. They're another team I like this year, Jacksonville, to be very good. It's going to be a really good week one matchup between their defense and uh, Patrick Mahomes. When we saw it last year, the Chiefs riddled the uh, the Jags, so there's some revenge there as well. And then both Monday night games I have. The Texans are an anti-public play plus seven at, New Orleans, at the uh, Saints. Um, a lot of public action on New Orleans. And this Broncos Raiders, I gave it out yesterday on the show, Broncos minus two and a half. So I'm going to stick with that. Um, It is now minus one. You're going to get a much better number. But that number is probably going to change depending on Antonio Brown's availability. For all we know, they may have him arrested today. um, And he won't be uh, anywhere near uh, the Alameda County Coliseum. On Monday night. So there you go. That's the smell test for the week. It's Marshall last night. Sorry you didn't get it if you didn't, but that was a winner. Missouri, Ohio, Tulane, Cal, Oregon State today, Panthers, Jags tomorrow, and Texans, Broncos on Monday night. All right. Um, I'm excited about Maryland-Syracuse coming up in uh, you know about three hours, noon on ESPN, um, number 22, number 21 team in the country coming into College Park. Aaron, you're going to be heading out there right afterwards. I will probably be coming right behind you. What kind of crowd do you think they're going to have today?
1: It's uh, probably not a great crowd. It'll probably be a very heavy Syracuse crowd. They have so much alum in, in this area. Uh, last week was a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah, I know it wasn't a good team, but there were barely anybody in the crowd other than the students, and even the students filed out in the second quarter when the game got out of hand. So I'm hoping. I bet you the students show out well against a ranked team. For the they've done a good job of kind of hyping up the freshmen. Outside of that, I'm not sure though. I.
0: I think I'm going to get to the point here soon in my life where I stop caring about things like crowd size and television ratings. And I just watch and go to and enjoy what I like watching and going to see live. Um, I just wish that the students at Maryland, which is a it's a a much smarter, a more eclectic um, group of students than those that existed when I was at Maryland in the 80s. <laughs> Where, you know, even Maryland football back then when I was there during the Bobby Ross years, they were very good. It still paled in comparison in importance to Maryland basketball, but we got excited. We went to the games. We were there early. We tailgated. And if it was a big game, we were there early and ready for it and stayed for the whole thing. Um, I I don't know that that is you know an emphasis at Maryland anymore. We know what the basketball ar- arena and crowd is like. It's it's exceptional. It's one of the best environments in college basketball. But from a, from a football standpoint, I hope they get behind this new coach, Mike Loxley. I hope they get behind this program. I just have a gut feel that, you know, I don't know if it's this year or next year that it's going to be a competitive program, and today could be a huge step in that direction. Syracuse's defense is a very good defense. I think this is one of those games you're going to know in the first quarter. If Maryland can move the football in Syracuse, they got a chance to win the game. If they're struggling and they're getting beat up front, which, by the way, a lot of the Big Ten teams have done to Maryland in recent years, as good as Maryland is from a skill position standpoint, it's been their offense line And defensive lines that haven't just they haven't been big enough, physical enough, athletic enough to compete with the better teams in the Big Ten. Syracuse is good defensively. They're well coached defensively. They're well coached overall. Dino Babers is an exceptional coach um, who's really turned it around at Syracuse. But I think it's one of those games we're going to know in the first quarter. If Maryland's moving the football, if there's room to run it, if there's time off, you know, in in passing situations for Josh Jackson, I think they've got a chance to win it. If we see them going three and out and punting in their first three series and they can't move anybody up front, I think it could be a long, uh, difficult day. All right, a quick note before we get to the Redskins season uh, prediction, which I'm going to get to here momentarily, uh, and then we'll get to Skins, you know, win if and. Some other things uh, NFL related. The game on Thursday night, I know we're now a, a day removed from that, but I wanted to mention the following if you didn't know this, because a lot of the conversation after the game was, this is a result of nobody playing in the preseason and there may be some truth to that. That that game Thursday night was you know, a no-rhythm game. Neither team was in rhythm. Now, both defenses may be really good. I think Chicago's defense is going to be very good, and Green Bay's defense looked really good on Thursday night. By the way, how about Preston Smith? How good did Preston Smith look in a Packer uniform? A sack and a half for him. Zadarius Smith, the free agent signing from Baltimore, had a sack, and Adrian Amos, uh Amos had the game clinching interception. Green Bay spent a lot of money on free agency on defense and it it proved out on on that o- opening game the other night to really be to really look like right now an upgrade. But here's what I was going to say about the the game Thursday night um and really the rest of the games this weekend. I would not read much into anything that happens in week 1, including the conversation about Nobody playing in the preseason. I'd like to see people play in the preseason. I think that they're missing out by not getting into rhythm. But to, to suggest that that means the rest of the week one games are going to be you know low-scoring defensive games isn't true. Last year in week one, nearly half the games were won by teams that scored 30 or more points. In fact, in week one last year, four teams scored 40 or more in week one, you know, this whole narrative about the offense is way behind the defense. I, I, that may be true. It's really hard to 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 confirm that or verify that with with real data over the years. All right. What isn't hard to verify is that overreacting to anything that happens in week one is pointless. Last year in week one, 10 of the 16 teams that won didn't make the playoffs. Four of the last place finishers last year all one games in week one. Overreacting to week one is an annual tradition for NFL fans. And by the way, it's an annual mistake. Um, let's, let's not forget that when we get to next week, all right, and, and I say something about week one and, and learning something from week one, just tell me, Aaron, to shut the hell up. Because nothing in week one tends to really be a carryover. Now, I'm not saying that Super Bowl winners haven't won a lot in Week 1 and haven't looked really good in Week 1. I'm just saying that teams that ended up being horrible have won and looked very impressive in Week 1, too. It's just too hard to figure out. Uh, I also wanted to mention real quickly before I get to the Redskins season prediction. Do you know that the Redskins are the biggest underdog on the board? They're a 10-point dog. Um, Last year, the biggest underdog on the board in Week 1 was Tampa. They were a 10.5-point dog at New Orleans. They won the game outright, 48-40. Uh, to 40. The, the, Those were two of the teams that scored 40 or more in Week 1 last year. That was the biggest dog last year, and they won the game outright. In 2017, the biggest dog on the board in Week 1 was Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland was a 10-point underdog, and they nearly beat Pittsburgh, losing 21-18 to 18 as a 10-point underdog. Had a chance to win that game. If you recall, their kicker missed a kick that would have forced overtime. That was the year that, that Cleveland started the first two weeks. I think it was Pittsburgh, and then New Orleans had a chance to win both of those games, and the kicker completely messed it up. In 2016, the biggest underdog on the board was Miami. They were a 10-and-a-half-point underdog at Seattle. Final score, Seattle 12, Miami 10. So the last three years, the biggest underdog on the board was a 10-and-a-half-point underdog. It is won once outright Tampa last year, and in the other two games, Cleveland and Miami were easy underdog covers. So think about that tomorrow. I do like the Redskins to keep it close against the Eagles. All right, Let's get to the Redskins season prediction. Here it is. Seven and nine. If you didn't hear it on the radio show, I'll just give you the reasons right now. First of all, I do understand that some of you are going to be like, man, you've been so, so pessimistic. How did you get yourself to seven and nine? Well, I've also told you that as we approach the regular season, I would start to get a little bit more excited and hopeful. So there's probably some of that involved. But here's the the real reason. I, I There's so much unknown about this team that it makes it really impossible to be convinced that they're going to stink. Like, it could certainly... Snowball out of control if it doesn't start well, and you could end up with the rookie quarterback, and maybe he won't be good, and you could end up. You know, I I gave you the worst case: three and thirteen could easily happen. But I do think that the unknowns are: Geis will Jordan Reed play? What's Case Keenum like in this system? And then you combine that with what we believe to be the known about this team, and that is they have good young talent. That's more than intriguing. It's exciting. So on defense, on defense specifically. So if they can be competitive on defense, defense, and then the unknowns on offense, Jordan Reed playing a lot, which is crucial to this team, Darius Geis being, you know, what they hope that he would have been last year. And he remains healthy and Case Keenan being a good fit. Or not a good fit, but let's assume he is. Now all of a sudden you got maybe a seven and nine kind of a team, an eight and eight kind of a team. You know, you get to seven and nine, you're two games away from potentially being a, a playoff competitor, and you're also two games away from having a shitty season at five and eleven. I don't know. I'm I'm pro. I, I was gonna go five and eleven or six and ten. That's what I was thinking all summer long. And as we approach this, one of the things that has me excited a little bit more excited than even I've I've been is the defense. I, I've said it a million times, our fan base is delusional when it comes to thinking that the defense was really good last year. It wasn't. It finished 20th in DVOA rankings. Um, it started well. It ended poorly. Um, it's a good defense. It's not a great defense. Duran Payne could be, however, a great player. I'm really excited about Duran Payne. Can't wait to watch him maybe more than anyone else. Uh, Jay Gruden said on Thursday about Deron Payne, he's a guy that works extremely hard, he's stronger, he's quicker, which by the way, uh, parenthetically, really showed up in the preseason games. He said, I think he's got a chance to be one of the dominant linemen in pro football. I agree with that. That's what he looks like to me. Imagine if the Redskins have a dominant, zero-technique nose tackle. They haven't had that in their 3-4. And I know that they only play their base defense 30% of the time. Imagine if Deron Payne ends up being an elite interior defensive lineman in the same way that Aaron Donald or Fletcher Cox are. He's a little bit different style of a player. But let's also say that John Allen becomes a potential Pro Bowl player. You've got depth there too. You've got a starter in Ionitis. You've got some depth with Settle and Brantley. This is the thing to focus on early. Like, how good is Payne really? How good is John Allen really? You know, are they really guys that, you know, we can look at and say, wow, they are elite players. They haven't had any of those in recent years. The only A player on this roster, two of them in the last three years, Trent Williams, and then when he's been healthy with, by the way, a quarterback who isn't checking it down 70% of the time or won't give people a chance Jordan Reed when he's healthy. And of course that's you know a big you know, if because he just never seems to be healthy. Seven and nine is my season prediction. Um, seven and nine. By the way, I did see this story about Adrian Peterson um, t- a revealing that Trent Williams has been in town. I don't know what to make of that. I don't know that anybody uh, knows what to make of the whole Trent Williams situation anymore. Um, All I would say is that at this point, I'm sick of the Trent Williams story. I admit it, and I know that we've done a lot of talk on it, but maybe that's why I'm sick of it more than anything else. We've talked too much about it. Now that the games are here, we don't have to obsess over what Adrian Peterson said about Trent Williams, that he's back in town. When he's back and ready to play or they've traded him, let me know. You know... Trent Williams has two years left on his deal. He has put this team in a very difficult spot in a lot of ways. Let's hope that, you know, old man Donald Penn is ready to go tomorrow. Let's hope. All right, more football coming up, but I want to get to Mike Jones here momentarily uh, right after I tell you about Stamps.com. You need Stamps.com if you're a small business. All right, It's a popular time-saving tool. For small businesses like the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. It brings all of the amazing services of the U.S. Post Office right to your computer, whether you're sending small, uh, whether you're a small business sending invoices or an online seller shipping out products or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com handles it all with ease. Use your computer, it's real simple, to print out. U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. Here's what we save using Stamps.com. Lots of time and then... $0.05 5 cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. It's a no-brainer. It's no wonder that over 700,000 small businesses are already using stamps.com. Here's a special offer for my listeners. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and use my code kevin dc. That's k e v i n d c. You'll get a 4-week trial Plus free postage and a digital scale without any long term commitment. That's stamps.com. Use my code Kevin DC. All right, uh, we're going to bring Mike Jones in here in a second, but you've got an update on the Antonio Brown situation.
1: So, according to Adam Schefter and now Jeff, Dar- uh, Jeff Darlington, who apparently got an email from Antonio Brown, the Raiders fined him enough over $200,000 that it voided all of his guarantees. That's what triggered this. And now Jeff Darlington saying, I just got an email from Antonio Brown. He tells me the team took away my guarantees. He added, there's no way I play after they took that and made my contract week to week. So at this moment, once again, don't expect Antonio Brown to play on Monday Night Football. Wow.
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know what? Good for the Raiders. They at this look, they made the mistake. People warned the Raiders. Don't make this mistake. He's crazy. You know, I mentioned this yesterday on the radio show. I'll mention it right now before we bring Mike in. You had a guy who the last time he played in a game had 14 catches, 185 yards, and two touchdowns against the Saints. He is without much debate one of the top two or three wide receivers of the last eight seasons in the NFL. He is an incredible talent. But it just goes to show you that In life, talent always gets second chances, always gets another opportunity, always gets forgiven. But in the Antonio Brown case, the fact that the Steelers so wanted him gone, they were willing to trade him for next to nothing, they didn't want to give him the money, tells you just what a wingnut, maybe a very bad guy Antonio Brown is, maybe a sick guy mentally. Clearly there is, there is lots of stuff going on there. Aaron, I watched the hard knocks thing up until the last episode. And I don't even think I want to go back and watch the, the, the last episode now that we've got real games here. But the one thing that came out of the whole Antonio Brown thing, I just kept thinking to myself, here's a dude that Pittsburgh didn't want a really good organization didn't want. And then a really bad organization decided to pay him. And since they paid him, He went out and he missed minicamp, went out and froze his feet. All right. He basically didn't follow instructions with the cryotherapy uh, session, didn't put on the right socks or right shoes, froze his damn feet. Then he missed more training camp time. Then it was the issue with the helmet. Then he put out the the letter and criticized the letter over the fines for missing all of these practices. Then he threatened the general manager. Then he apologized. And then the team accepted it. And then he put out the video last night with a secretly, we think secretly, recorded conversation. And now he says, he's not playing any team that decided to go down this path man it was almost the Redskins remember Schefter reported the Redskins Titans and Raiders were the teams that were interested the Raiders deserve this they also now deserve to to, to use every possible means to get their money back because this guy is insane let's bring in Mike Jones all right, let's bring in Mike Jones from USA Today, who's kind enough to join us on this Saturday morning. Um, this Antonio Brown thing keeps getting crazier. I do want to get your Redskin season prediction, which we'll do here in a few minutes. But the latest this morning, after the video last night, was mm-hmm. um, this—you know—this Instagram post asking the Raiders to release him. And now the sure. latest on this is—you know—from multiple sources that the the Raiders fined him for conduct detrimental and the level of the fine, I guess, allowed them to void the near $30 million worth of guaranteed money in his contract and essentially put him on a week-to-week deal. What do you know about this situation? And I do want to ask you this question up front. Do you think the league is cringing at all of this? I know the networks probably love it. But what do you think the league is thinking? What do you think Goodell and company are thinking about this?
2: Yeah, well, they probably want it to go away as quickly as they possibly can. Um, yes, this is a big, you know, a big star, but this isn't the kind of attention that the NFL wants. Um, this isn't the kind of attention that the Raiders want. Um, and, and so, um, you know, theres it's anyone's guess how this thing ends up, but, um, you know, you know that the apology that he issued to his teammates on Friday was fake, um, You know, and he has no concept of accountability. If he really thought that he was going to just be able to say, I'm sorry, and then everything would be okay and he didn't have any type of punishment. Um, but, yes, if the Raiders had have suspended him for even a week for a conduct detrimental to the team – Then that would have avoided it. And now, because they've fined him of that amount, um, that voids those guarantees. Um, And, you know, I mean, anybody can see that he asked for this. Um, This is, you know, he brought this on himself. And then to to now say for them to release him. um, And, you know, there's also reports of an email that he sent to uh, Jeff Darlington saying there's no way I play for them now that they've made my salary week to week. Um, Well, Sorry, buddy. You made your bed, and you know I don't really don't know how this ends. But but bef- you know before the weekend's out, it could have like taken 500 different twists
0: and turns. Right. But I don't know who in
2: the world would want him on their team if he does get released.
0: Yeah, I mean by the time everybody's listening to this, the story could have changed another 15 ways. I'm wondering does has has anybody discussed the possibility. Of Gruden pressing charges for non consent on a two way recorded call um uh I do not
2: know if he is considered pressing charges. I think that that's fine received last night, you know I don't know if that was in response to that. I had checked in with some Raiders people, and last night the tone was you know they they tried to shrug it off and act nonchalant now obviously um you know that could not have been their true response they they probably rolled their eyes and was like you gotta be kidding me um and i don't know if that's what triggered the fine or not um but you know you you look at that and you say okay is there any way that that was left over from hard knocks and they didn't use it Was it something from the helmet um you know or was it exactly what it looked like it was um i don't know uh, we this thing is so bizarre and there's so much, many questions that are still hanging there, dots unconnected. Uh, but, yeah, I think that for Gruden, I imagine that releasing him and finding him would probably be the punishment rather than pressing charges, even though he would be within his rights to do so.
0: You know, I don't know, you know, off the top of my head, if we've ever seen this length of time of, you know, certainly perceived, if not legitimate, insubordination um, by a player and I'm wondering if the circumstance of the last, you know, month and a half, we would, we would all say that if the Raiders released him, somebody would pick him up. And my first inclination would be, you know what, the Patriots will pick him up and make right. it work somehow. But do you right. think it's possible that if they release him today or tomorrow that actually the, no one in the league would, would pick up somebody as nutso as this guy?
2: Um, yeah, I, I think that it, whoever picked him up, would probably only offer him like a veteran's minimum base salary and then a lot of incentives he'd have to reach. And I don't know that he would want to do that. Um, You know, he said, you know, I'm more than a football player. I I don't know if he's trying to set up himself a reality TV show or what. Um, So I don't know that anybody could really bring themselves to investing guaranteed money into this guy. Um, And so – it's really hard to see him uh, signing on with anybody um, because of just how crazy this whole thing is. And it's just something that's going to be a real distraction to your team.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, when you think about some of the diva wide receivers, the crazed wide receivers in the past, TO, um, you know, uh, you know it's, it's, OBJ, Dez. Um, Deshaun at times. I don't think anybody's been this unstable appearing. Right? No.
2: No, no. Um, I mean,
0: T.O. doing sit-ups and
2: lifting weights in his his driveway was was nothing compared to this stuff. It's a taffy Um, pool
0: compared to this.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've not seen this at all. Um, And you just have to – I mean, this is disturbing behavior in – there's something wrong there beyond just football. Um, You know, um, that's pretty clear.
0: All right, so it's impossible to predict what will happen next. And, again, um, I recognize that this is a recorded podcast, and by the time a lot of you listen to this, uh, it'll have turned, you know, seven new directions. Um, But it is truly fascinating. And I guess the NFL is sitting, you know, back and saying, thank God our games start tomorrow. Because it's really... It's the greatest reality show in in, in sports and, and in television, the NFL is. And once these games start, it's amazing how all of these uh, Mike training camp and off-season stories tend to really get buried because of the right. games, although this one seems like an all-timer.
2: Yeah, because this one's dragging into right up on the edge of the season. Um, and, and even if they do release him um, – the story is still going to be you know their offense is going to be struggling and then you're going to you know think about what they could have had if this guy had not just taken a bomb to himself um and <laughs> you know it's just it's, i mean eventually it will fade but it's going to linger for a little while
0: by the way just a couple of more points on this um that i want a reaction to the raiders look awful for this they look oh, yeah they look terrible for making that commitment up front to 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 a guy like him um, with all of that, you know, guaranteed money, which maybe they're going to be able to extricate themselves from. But I just – I think Gruden's come off as just very passive and accommodating and allowing a player like that to dictate.
2: Yeah, Um. well, what do you yeah, – obviously, you know, a, Antonio Brown called the Raiders fake, and so – the, the only reason, you know, it's hard to make any sense of this, but he must have felt like, okay, hey, we're going to move on, meant like he wasn't going to have any type of punishment. Um, you know, but in reality, they're still giving him an opportunity, even though there is a fine there. Um, but, um, you know, Gruden, this is a guy he really likes. He brought him in. I was told yesterday, um, that. You know they didn't This was before the announcement they didn't expect to find because then if i mean a, a, sub, a suspension or a release at that time because if they did that then it would be gruden admitting he made a mistake in bringing him on and that that didn't think that his ego was going to allow him to do that now this thing has you know built up even more then you know they probably are going to have to do that um but yeah he doesn't look good standing you know even if it was behind the scenes of finding him and removing the guarantees and if the guy is still in the organization without a, a suspension or something like that, you basically are undermining your general manager there, like you know, because you're letting him go at the general manager, cuss him out left and right, and then he's, you know, still allowed to operate this way and be a part of your team.
0: Um, That's just your credibility is shot there in your locker room, yeah. and you look bad from the outside as well. Not to mention, you know, his credibility, Gruden's credibility with the Khalil Max situation was probably, you know, uh, pushed to the limit a little bit with some of those players. You know, he essentially – you know, he essentially – created or, or, or exaggerated Mac not wanting to be there and therefore him moving on from him you know Mac blows up in Chicago everybody knew he would and it, it 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 appeared if I recall after the deal that you know Khalil Mack didn't have any problem trying to play for the Raiders like it it wasn't that he was trying to talk his way out of town
2: no he just went on a long-term deal you know yeah. and you know they didn't want to give him that uh, because he wanted to build a team the way that he wanted and you know, now he took a lot of that money and that they would have given back, and he spent it on this guy who's now, a, a, you know, a whack job wide receiver here that doesn't want to be here anymore.
0: Um, you just look really, really bad. I just checked my um, Twitter notifications, and I'm just getting uh-huh. buried with should the Redskins oh <laughs> should goodness. they sign oh, it? would be so. Yeah. It would be. It would. It would be so Dan and Vinny Redskins. You know, but remember. Right. But Schefter reported, you know, back in March, the Redskins were one of the three teams that were interested in Brown.
2: Yeah, yeah. But I, 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 I'm I, pretty sure that Jay Gruden um, would have a discussion with his brother. Yeah, And, you know, I mean, I know that there have been times in the past where Jay didn't always listen to his brother's advice on some things. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure that on this one here, uh Jay does not want this kind of headache um you know that into the team
0: all right. um, let's get to the Redskins. Give me your season prediction for them and a couple of thoughts on the season you know that they're about to embark on tomorrow in Philadelphia.
2: uh, I think they're probably in that six and ten seven, and nine range um you know uh, their defense will be good and will keep them in games. Their offense I don't see a lot of proven playmakers um I don't care who your quarterback is. If you don't have guys who can get separation and win matchups, then you're not going to have a lot of success. Jordan Reed, Chris Thompson, um, Darius Geis can all be impact players, but, you know, durability is an issue. uh, It's been one for Jordan Reed, definitely. Chris Thompson has dealt with a lot of injuries. Darius Geis is coming off of a torn ACL, so you don't know about his durability. And then you look at the offensive line, you've got Sheriff and Moses on the right side, but that left side of Donald Penn and Eric Flowers is pretty freaking shaky. Um, And so I just don't know how their offense um, plays to the level that they need to
0: be able to be competitive in this division. What's your Super Bowl pick? Did you make one already? Yeah, I have the Saints beating the Chiefs. Saints beating the Chiefs. Give me a hunch you have about this NFL season, something you think you know we'll all be talking about that nobody's anticipating a team, a player, a trend, a hunch?
2: Uh, uh, I think that that uh, Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers are going to wind up like really bouncing back. I know that there's an adjustment period, but I think that he's going to be um, very good for Aaron Rodgers once they get this offense going. Um, uh, so I, I have them – um, Matt LaFleur, I picked him as Coach of the Year. Aaron Rodgers is the MVP candidate. Um, I think that the Cowboys don't even make the playoffs. I think that they miss narrowly. Everybody's talking about them being a contender. Um, but, I mean, I don't think that they're going to win their division. I think the Eagles win their division, and the Eagles are the ones who are competing with the Rams and the Saints um, and the Packers, uh, you know, as the best teams in the NFC.
0: Thank you for doing this on short notice. You're always great when I ask uh, five minutes before um, I need you to come on with me. I'm usually not very organized when it comes to this. But thanks, uh, and I'll talk to you uh, soon. We'll we'll be doing the Channel 4 show together, Redskins Showtime, I'm sure, a few times this year. Um, So I'll see you then. All right, I'll see you. Thanks, Kevin. Always great to catch up with Mike Jones. Miss him on the beat for the post, but he does a great job covering the league for USA Today. Uh, all right. A uh, couple of things, real quickly. First of all, if you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, rate us, review us, really helps. All right. Uh, subscribe, that helps as well, doesn't cost you a thing. Uh, also, don't forget, I'm back on radio, 7 to 10 a.m., uh, the Team 980. So you can listen to me there, uh, in the mornings. Um, that, uh, has been actually great. I've been back for a month. A lot of you actually have tweeted me over the last few weeks, to, uh, the last few days, excuse me, saying, Hey, I didn't know you were back on radio. And that's by the way, Aaron, a perfect indication of what I've said uh, for years, which is this is a city that doesn't pay attention to anything until after Labor Day for the most part. And I'm, I'm not saying that I'm something that people would have paid attention to. I'm just saying people who listen to sports talk radio, the high season is post-Labor Day through the Super Bowl. Um, but I appreciate all of the kind words. But again, if you didn't know that, 7 to 10 a.m. on 980. Uh, also, the Kevin Sheehan show.com for this podcast for anybody that doesn't know how to do a podcast the normal way. Not that it isn't the normal way, but you know what I mean. All right, let's get to Redskins win if. Uh, a couple of things here for uh, tomorrow's game. All right, the Redskins can beat the eagles if a couple of things happen tomorrow in my in my opinion number one you know philly is rusty carson wentz has not played since last december in a game didn't take a snap in the preseason the last time he played it was a 29 23 loss to dallas a game that dropped the eagles to six and seven He had those back issues. They shut him down. Nick Foles came in, saved the season, won three in a row, beat the Bears, and then really had a chance. Aaron, remember the playoff game in New Orleans? Alshon Jeffrey drops that perfect ball from Foles. If not, the the Eagles are heading in for a potential uh, go-ahead score, and maybe they're in the NFC title game against the Rams and not the Saints. I think Wentz could be rusty. I also think there could be some pressure on Carson Wentz. Think about this. His backup over the last two years accomplished a lot more than he did. And there's no safety net this year. It's all on him at quarterback. Nate Sudfeld, we don't think, is Nick Foles. I think the time to catch the Eagles is now. They're a little bit rusty. Wentz is a little bit rusty. Wentz is feeling some pressure to perform and to stay healthy. That's one way the Redskins could keep this close. I think the Redskins are going to have to throw the football uh, tomorrow against the Eagles. Um, we've all been talking about, you know, defense, offense doesn't lose the game, play it like they did early last year, Run the football, stop the run, win the turnover battle, win the field position battle, et cetera, et etc. Don't make mistakes offensively. And Alex Smith was great at not making mistakes. That was his strength last year quarterback i think they're going to need to throw the football to move it and i think the only way you've got a chance in this league is you got to score now you know you can't rely on even though jay said it last week we may have to rely on winning game 17 13 i think the redskins are going to face stacked boxes trying to stop darius geis adrian peterson whomever it is that's in the game by the way will adrian peterson even be active tomorrow that'll be an interesting storyline tomorrow morning um I think they're going to stack the box and see if case keenum can throw to any one of these young receivers without jordan reed it's going to be very difficult i think jay's best chance to throw it is to throw it early early down throws play action bootleg get him out there loosen up the defense take a couple of shots i don't think the redskins can win tomorrow if they're a one dimensional team and i think the only way they're not one dimensional is if they throw it early and throw it often and then they come back to the run Redskins win tomorrow if they manage to get 3 plays that set up easy scores. This is typical of an NFL game, right? You get a turnover that leads to a short field and points, you get a special teams play that leads to a short field and points, you get a return, a blocked kick, you get a one, you get one big play offensively that takes it from your own 20 to their 20, and even if you get a field goal out of it, You need, when you're a team like the Redskins, offensively, you need three of those plays. And you can only give up one on the other side. You need three plays in this game that set up easy scoring opportunities. Your red zone defense has to be good tomorrow as well. And it was good last year. The Redskins ranked eighth in the league in red zone defense, even though they were the 20th best defense per um, the DVOA number, uh, uh, per Football Outsiders. Um, they were the best, uh, eighth best red zone defense in the league. Philly's going to move the football my, is my guess. Um, they're going to be in the red zone three to four times. You got to hold them to two to three field goals instead of touchdowns. That'll go a long way towards them being able to hang into that game. Lastly, and this is probably cliche and it's probably part of the, you know, keys to any NFL team winning a game, especially teams that aren't You know significantly better talent wise you got to be plus two in the turnover margin on the road against a team like Philadelphia tomorrow if you're not plus two you probably don't win the game Um, I'd look at Collins Landon Collins I'd look at Monte Nicholson and what they're doing I'm excited about the two of them playing together or certainly intrigued by watching it you know one of them is going to be on Zach Ertz a lot of the day um one of those is going to make a play tomorrow, or they, they got to make a play. Um, they come in. Collins makes a big hit, forces a fumble. Nicholson gets an overthrown ball and picks it. Plus two in the turnover margin is huge, and that will go a long way towards determining uh, the winner of the game tomorrow. Um, I'll get to the prediction on the game here uh, momentarily. Did you know? Did you know that the Redskins have not opened up in Philadelphia in 37 years? It's been 37 years since the Redskins opened the season in Philly. Now they've opened against the Eagles four times over that span at home in D.C. But in 1982, the Redskins went into Philadelphia for the season opener. And they won the game 37-34 in overtime. Philadelphia was a big favorite in that game. The Redskins were not supposed to be any good coming off Joe Gibbs' first season, an 8-8 and season in 1981 when they started 0-5 and went 8-3 and down the stretch. There was some hope that 82 could be good. They They started off with that win over Philadelphia. The last time they opened with Philadelphia on the road, they won in Week 2 against Tampa in the rain. And then the NFL strike came, Aaron. And imagine this because I don't think you can. You're too young. Imagine an NFL strike and no games for 8 weeks. We didn't have any NFL. This was not the year of the replacements, right? That was 1987. Right. 1982 ended up being a 9-game regular season with 8 weeks of no football during the strike. I just I'll tell you for all of you out there, most of you feel the same way I do that this NFL season has a rhythm to it. It's it's a habit. Imagine the next eight Sundays without – imagine playing two games and then taking eight weeks off. There was no football for half of September, all of October, and much of November. No NFL back in 1982. Uh, The significance of the last time the Redskins opened in Philadelphia, if you're looking for an omen, the Redskins won the Super Bowl that year. The last time they opened in Philadelphia, they won the Super Bowl. All right, um – So anyway, that was the significance of uh, the last time they played Philadelphia, a season that ended in Super Bowl championship, the first for the organization. wanted to mention real quickly before um, we get to uh, a Redskins uh, final score prediction, uh, a couple of prop bets, Aaron, that I've made uh, so far uh, for the NFL season. Uh, I have taken a couple of over-unders and a couple of playoff uh, bets. I bet the Broncos over seven and a half. I had to lay 185. I did that a few weeks ago. I think I told you I did that a few weeks ago. Um, I took uh, Seattle um, over uh, on the season. I took Jacksonville over on the season. And I also took all three of those teams to make the playoffs. I've got Seattle making the playoffs at plus 145. I've got this. Oh, I've got the Steelers. I'm sorry. My playoff bets were, because I just pulled it up right uh, in my account. Seahawks make the playoffs plus 145. I've got the Steelers making the playoffs at minus 120. And I've got the Broncos making the playoffs at plus 325. So those were um, the over-under bets that I mentioned, and then making the playoff bets that I mentioned. Those are some of the prop bets I like on the season. I've mentioned I like Seattle, I like Carolina, I like Pittsburgh, I like Denver, Jacksonville. Those are the teams I like to sort of really have a chance to make the postseason after not making it last year. I didn't play Carolina yet. I probably will at some point, and I may do the same with Jacksonville uh, as well. All right, uh, let's get to Redskins scoring more. Time to settle the score is score and more. All right, first one of the year. Um, I like the Eagles to win the game but not cover. I like the Eagles to win 22-17. And I think it's a touchdown pass from Wentz to Deshaun Jackson to win the game. They they go for two because they were down 17-16. They missed the two-point conversion and they win it 22-17. But I, I don't know the week one's so hard as it was last week. And again, I don't I wouldn't get too wrapped up in into, you know, making long-term season-long predictions based on what you see here. I think it's a good spot for the Redskins to be competitive tomorrow. Um, they haven't played many people in the preseason either. Uh, but, you know, it's feeling each other out, trying to figure out what kind of team you have. The Redskins defensively should be improved. Defense travels. Wentz could be rusty, all of those things. I see a game that's like 17-16 in the fourth quarter before Philadelphia scores a touchdown, a touchdown and wins it 22 To 17. So there's your first prediction. So essentially, the prediction is the Redskins lose, but they cover uh, the 10. Um, I played that game, Aaron, remember, uh, a couple of weeks ago at at plus nine. Remember, I played them plus nine um, a couple of weeks ago. So I got a bad number on that. I thought the number was going to go the other way. I might come back and play them a little bit more at plus 10. Uh, All right. uh, I want to finish up the show with my good friend Tim Murray, who does a show that Aaron produces. Uh, for the Daily Line. We recorded this the other day. Um, A lot of college football discussion, a lot of gambling discussion, some NFL props uh, discussion as well. Um, Here was my conversation with Tim the other day. Uh, Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy football. Talk to you on Monday. All right, let's do some college football, Uh, and we're going to bring on Tim Murray, a good friend of mine, from back in the 980 days. And Tim, if you don't know this, he's actually on television hosting – co-hosting The Daily Line with Michael Jenkins, and um, you've got a new addition to that show. Aaron produces the show, Aaron being uh, the Aaron that produces this podcast. Tim and I have always been friends, and the thing that we've always had in common, we've had two things very much in common, gambling and college football, and our love for college football. So we're going to talk about both on the show, but before we do, tell everybody how they can watch your show.
3: Yeah, we uh, we added Sarah Perlman, who is the sideline reporter for the Orioles, and she's tremendous, a uh, big gambler just like we are. Uh, the show is on NBC Sports Washington uh, every day from 3 to 5, and if you have the Plus channel, so, you know, when the Wizards and Caps play at the same time, you turn on the Plus channel. Well, we're on the Plus channel the entirety of the show from 3 to 7. Uh, we're also on, if you're, you know, going around the country, we're on in Chicago, San Francisco, and uh, – and in Philadelphia as well. So it's uh, it's been exciting. Um, the feedback's been great. And uh, I just need to start picking some winners because week one, Kevin, was bad.
0: <laughs> was Bad. It? You know what? We haven't talked since week one. I went one and two on the smell test. There were a lot of games that I liked. Personally, I really didn't do well. But I actually got it all back Sunday night with Houston plus 22, um, which, by the way, looked terrible early on. Um, but I went one and two. Who, do, who did you have? Who did you give out last week? Well, I gave out Northwestern, I gave out Oregon. Uh, yeah.
3: I had more, I had Oregon on the Ugh, money line too, too which
0: was which painful. Painful,
3: painful. But there were a couple other bad ones. I had Georgia Southern. I thought they would keep it within, you know, res- respectable and they got their doors blown off. I had uh I had since or, sorry, I had UCLA Kevin and the scoop and score gets negated two red zone turnovers. Um, you know there was a couple games I got back I had the Louisville team total over which was 17 and a half they had 14 points in the first quarter finished with 17 <laughs> so uh, it, was, it was not an ideal weekend but I got off to a slow start last year so you're kind of just starting to feel it out you know, we, you and, I mean, you've know, you been doing this longer than I have Kevin but I've had certainly adopted your mindset of the, the smell and the stink and uh,
0: sometimes you just have bad weeks but it always ends up working out let, let's do. Let, let's come back to a lot of the gambling stuff because I want to do some NFL uh, props with you as well. But I want to talk a, a little college football right now. You know, uh, taking the gambling out of the equation. That Oregon Auburn game was the best game of the weekend. It was intense. It wasn't always well played. I thought the, the freshman quarterback Nick's really struggled, and I thought Herbert was great. And I actually came out of that, and I told Scott this yesterday. He was on the podcast yesterday. I thought. Oregon looked like a very good football team, and one that really we need to keep an eye on the rest of the year. And I was impressed by Herbert as well. Do you think they and the and the Pac-12 are done after the first week of the season or not?
3: No, I don't. I, I think it was a big hit, and the problem for Oregon. And I agree with you. I thought early on in that game, I was blown away. I mean, what people had talked about in addition to Justin Herbert, Kevin was. Oregon might have a top-five offensive line, and it showed that for a good chunk of that game. And they came out ready to roll and come to go down the field. I think it was a hit to Mario Cristobal. I thought there were some questionable coaching decisions uh, on his part. Um, I mean, the, the knock for Oregon now, Kevin, is that they really have to run the table. We have yet to see a two-loss team make the playoff, and we definitely aren't going to see a two-loss team from the from Pac-12. The Pac-12. Yeah. So Oregon has to go to Washington uh, USC obviously you know, lost their quarterback, so that's not a daunting task anymore. They do go to Stanford in a couple weeks. So Oregon's got an uphill climb. That really would have helped out them, would have helped out the conference. But I, I certainly don't think they're out of it. I'm curious. I was a little bit down on Washington going into this year, Kevin. Um, and they played in, you know, an FCS opponent last week. But I was impressed. I thought they were very, very strong uh, offensively. They have to replace a lot on defense, Washington does. Um, I was high on Utah, and then the world jumped on Utah, so now knowing the (laughs) way we think, I'm a little skittish. Their defense
0: Uh, is really good, though. Yeah,
3: that D-line suffocated BYU week one, um, and they've got a really good running back at Utah. Uh, I I think we could see a one-loss Pac-12 team get in. Uh, Washington's schedule does play out pretty nicely for them because they get – Utah and Oregon to come to Seattle and Washington State. So I think Washington is going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on, but I would not look past. They might have trouble just a little bit this weekend. I think we're going to learn a lot about Washington this weekend. They have one of those late-night games. They play Cal. Yeah. Justin Wilcox, since coming going there from Wisconsin, has instilled a, uh, just a mentality of being tough, and we've seen Cal pull some upsets. So keep an eye on that game, late night Saturday night. How does Washington handle Cal? If they blow through them, beat them by three touchdowns, I think Washington could be a really legitimate team to make the college football playoffs.
0: Well, I don't want to shift the the talk to gambling quite yet because I do want to go through some other things. But I've got Cal written down as as do more too. likely than not um, a smell test pick uh, when I when I break it out tomorrow on the show. Um, and and they, you know. Uh, I don't know how high I was on Washington. I think I was sort of unknown uh, about Washington going in. But I think that line gives you an indication that one of two things is is correct. Either Cal's better than people think or Washington isn't. But we will find out tomorrow night. Uh, in the Pac-12, really, the, the key for them is to have an Oregon with a one-loss – well, I mean, Washington versus – no, to have a one-loss Oregon team with the one-loss being to Auburn. Have Auburn be, be really, really good – and have Utah be undefeated in the uh, Pac-12 title game. And then the winner of that would probably move on to the playoff. I mean, you know, we got a long way to go before then. What else stood out from week one for you? Uh,
3: You know, I don't want to make too much about it, and we're going to learn a lot about LSU, but uh, I've always been kind of curious about LSU. I'm not a big Ed Orgeron fan, just X's and O's. He's a tremendous recruiter. Uh, but the way they blew the doors off, a quality football team. Now, Georgia Southern, don't get me, you know, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying Georgia Southern is a is a great football team. That's a 10-win football program. You know, put it into context, Georgia Southern plays in the same conference as Georgia State. Georgia State won two games in the Sun Belt and went into Knoxville and won by eight, probably could have won by two or three touchdowns. And LSU came out and dropped 55 on a triple option team and just looked, like they were going to blow the doors, you know, they're going to kill everybody. So LSU impressed me, albeit against a very inferior opponent. You don't know what to make about that. Um, You know, Clemson, I think people are getting a little overboard over, you know, Clemson's going to be bad this year. They still won by 38 points. I mean, they have first-world problems when people are talking about they win by 38, and uh, people are like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if they're really that good. I'll be honest, Kevin, I didn't learn a ton uh, from week one. I, I, you know, um, I, I am, I'm a little bit lower, and this is from week zero. Uh, I was not that impressed by Florida. I was actually rather unimpressed, especially the way they finished off the season. Uh, I thought Michigan would come out and be very crisp. They were not. They still won by 19 against Middle Tennessee, and there was a late touchdown in that game that affected the line. Um, but I'm more interested to see, you know, what is Ohio State going to do this weekend against Cincinnati because they came out last weekend, Kevin, and were up 21 to nothing in a blink of an eye, and then went about 30 minutes without scoring a point. Georgia comes out and scores 21 quickly against Vanderbilt, and then they're quiet the remainder of the game. So, you know, how good are these teams? I guess the last impression I'll say this is. Jalen Hurts and that offense could be a scary, scary thing. But the caveat is Houston's defense is beyond putrid. They gave up 70 in a bowl game against Army last year. So I would keep a close eye on Jalen Hurts. Don't get overblown. You know, go, don't go crazy saying he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, but Oklahoma with Jalen Hurts, I thought Kyler Murray said a really interesting thing on the sidelines to Holly Road during that game. I don't know if you caught this. But he said, look, when me and Baker Mayfield came into – uh, this offense. We were unknowns. Jalen Hurts is a proven commodity, and yeah. now he's coming into this offense, which is so, which is a great point made by Kyler Murray. So I, I think Oklahoma, my overreaction from week one was that Oklahoma's going to make the playoff. You know, that's kind of a chalky type of thought process, but I, I was impressed offensively, and uh, a lot of people think that Oklahoma's defense looked bad, Kevin. I actually thought in the first half they were flying first around. First half. They looked, yeah, yeah, Houston they looked, looked a little tight. Yeah. So, I mean, Alex Grinch is a big addition. Uh their new D coordinator for Oklahoma. So, uh I guess those would be my, you know, initial week one overreactions.
0: Yeah, uh, it's a cup a couple of thoughts on on what you talked about. First of all, I mean, that's nice of Kyler Murray to say, but Baker you, people knew who Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield were before they got to Oklahoma, not like Jalen Hurts, no doubt. Right. Um, I think what he was trying to say, Kevin, was that he, you know, Jalen Hurts was SEC
3: offensive player of yep. the year years ago. So I think that's what what his point was. No, Kyler sure. Murray was a five star recruit. Baker yeah. Mayfield was and, and, right. the pro, you know the projected Heisman winner going into his final season. Yeah,
0: and and Kyler Murray you know had showed tr- tremendous flashes you know at A and M before transferring. But a cu- a couple of things. First of all. I, and I said this with the smell test last week. I think the first week in college football is just so difficult to mm-hmm. handicap because so many of these teams, you you they haven't played a game. There's no preseason in college football. Very often, you know, you get teams that will start slowly, maybe not cover, and then all of a sudden come out in week two and kill somebody. Um, week two is a much better measuring stick. Also on LSU, Scott actually spent some time talking about LSU on the show yesterday, and he said that this guy Joe Brady, who was the um, you know was in New Orleans with Sean Payton um, in the NFL, they hired him to be the pass game coordinator, and he said people love this dude and they think that he is a major major factor in LSU's offense this year. And I actually have never. I thought last year. As bad as the quarterback situation has been at LSU over the years – I actually thought in some of those games, like the Auburn game, Joe Burrow looked, you know, more than capable, you know, a lot better than some of these other guys that they've had over the years. Um, that LSU Texas game is really, really interesting. You know, if LSU comes out and hammers Texas, we know now we've got you know three juggernauts out of the SEC, and the countdown for LSU Auburn and then LSU Bama, you know, begins because as as Scott pointed out, Herman's been pretty good in these games. You know, as as an underdog against, you know, big name teams in in these spots. I can't wait to see that game because I don't know if I believe in Texas. Do you? I don't right now, and
3: uh the Herman Nuggets, they're just you know, they're flowing out there. Right. He's 13 two and one ATS as an underdog, and at Texas right. he's eight and two against the spread as an underdog. So that's certainly been put out there and it's a fair thing to bring up. Uh, he also struggles as a favorite. I think last year Texas was like three and seven as a favorite against the number, which is insane. One um, of those
0: was against Maryland yep. at FedEx Field.
3: Yes, it was. <laughs> Past two years. Yep. <laughs> um. But but here's the thing: they've got a very good quarterback. Sam Ellinger is a good quarterback. They have no depth at running back. I think they have turned a backup quarterback into one of their running backs for this week. And a big thing. And, uh, you know, I like Todd Orlando uh, a lot. He's very well-respected, Texas' defensive coordinator. But they are basically replacing that whole defense. I think they have two returning starters. And that's a big, big question mark for me going into this game. And how long, Kevin, have we been waiting in the end of the Les Mile era, into the Ed Orgeron era, looking at every LSU roster and seeing how much talent they have, seeing them excel on the next level but them having an antiquated old offense. Yeah. This Joe Brady addition, I wrote it down in my notes. When, you know, when we were about to come on, the the addition of Joe Brady as passing game coordinator is going to pay massive dividends for LSU. They're they're really moving the ball around the field. And you know, sometimes you see teams be pretty vanilla week one. If they've got a big game week two, man, they did not take their foot off the gas pedal. They were up forty two to three at halftime against Georgia Southern, and Joe Burrow threw five touchdowns. So I, um, that line, to me, you know how me and you think very similarly. Uh, that line has moved up, um, and that line reeks quite a bit to me, knowing it's at Texas, that's a top-ten team, and uh, that it's almost a touchdown uh, uh, spread here. I- I'm leaning pretty hard on LSU in this
0: spot. Yeah, I, I like them too, um, and I think they're going to be an interesting team to watch. And already, if you look at – you know, the futures um, for making the playoff and winning the championship. LSU jumped up in that first week. They are essentially the fourth, I think they're right around the fourth favorite now to win the whole thing behind Clemson, Bama, and Georgia. Now, you know, it's almost impossible to conceive of three teams from one league making the playoff. Um, I thought about it. As you know, I'm I'm crazy, and I think about things like this. You'd have to have real meltdown in, in most of the other
3: conferences. Yes, I mean you would. I mean, think about it this way. If LSU beats Texas and Texas goes on to win the Big 12, how are you going to put in Texas over LSU if LSU goes 11 and 1 and their only loss is on the <laughs> Look at road what at we're Alabama doing
0: on September 5th. I
3: know, I do this all the time. I walked in <clears throat> I, know. I walked in you know Tim Shovers, you the three of us used to just talk about college football forever in the office and I walk in I go, I've already got a doomsday scenario. He's like, "It's it's the first day of September." Yeah. So Yeah, I'm crazy. I think about things like that.
0: The the LSU Auburn game um, in Baton Rouge is monster, and then you know uh, they get the following. I guess they get a bye, I think, and then it's at Tuscaloosa. So that we we can wait here for a while, um, you know, on LSU. Of course, that'll end if they lose Saturday night at Texas, and then we'll be talking about Texas as a potential playoff team. Before we get to some of the gambling talk. Um, Is there a team for you outside of what's been normal here recently? Clemson, Bama, uh, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Like pretty much those five teams, there's a pretty good chance three of the four, three of the five are going to make it. Give me a team other than LSU, which you've just mentioned, that hasn't been to the playoff, that's outside of that group, that you really think has a legit shot. Uh, You've already mentioned LSU, and I agree with you. Give me another one.
3: Yeah, I think LSU's a long shot just because of the schedules we've kind of broken down, but I wouldn't be stunned if they could figure out a way to get in. I'm not high on Michigan. I, I want to see it first. They've yet to beat uh Ohio State. I understand the Josh Gaddis hiring has everyone, you know, giddy. Uh I would say Utah or Washington, honestly. I, I think uh I would like to see a little bit more Utah offensively. They've got a pretty puff puff cake uh Team this week in Northern Illinois, uh, but they've got Tyler Huntley. I don't know if you saw their running back, Zach Moss. No, that dude is a grown man. He ran for a buck eighty seven against BYU, salted that game away. Yeah, but I think, loss. I think, I think for the Pac twelve, it is their opportunity to get in. The narrative is out there that they're soft and all of this. The Oregon loss does really hurt them. But I think Washington, Utah, Oregon, one of those three teams, I think has got a legitimate shot to make the playoff this year as that fourth team. Um, I mean, the big question is if, you know, Iowa State, I think, took a little bit out of the sails of people thinking that, you know, they could throw a wrench into the Big 12. But, you know, there's some teams in the Big 12, Kevin, that I think could cause a little bit of havoc to Texas or Oklahoma. I like Baylor. I like like, uh, Iowa State. Uh, I like TCU. So I think there's some teams that could trip up Oklahoma or Texas and make the champ in that conference have two losses, which could remove them from uh, from possibly you know getting in. So my teams right now would be Utah and Washington sitting there at 13 and 14 in the AP Top 25. The fact that Utah goes to Washington uh, gives Washington a slight edge for me um, but I would say a Pac-12 team has a good shot of getting in. And that being said, they'll lose by a couple touchdowns because in my mind, Kevin, I think it's Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, big space, everyone else.
0: Um, I don't know how big the space is between the, the three of them and LSU with all those five or stars. LSU too, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I certainly think that after LSU there's a big space. Now the one team I'm surprised you didn't mention and I'm assuming that you were maybe a little bit disappointed Monday night. Notre Dame obviously controls their own fate with games at Georgia and at Michigan. Um, are they good enough to to make a significant run this year?
3: I don't think so. Um, I like this team. I like where this program's at. I think it's in a very healthy spot. The healthiest spot Notre Dame's probably been in since the Lou Holtz era. Um, but Georgia's just too good. And if you watch that game, now Notre Dame made some adjustments, but they lost their entire linebacking core, and uh, that's just going to be awful against Georgia. I mean, DeAndre Swift is probably my favorite player playing football right now, Georgia running back. He is incredible, and I think he's going to have a massive game against Notre Dame. Uh, I think Notre Dame has the capabilities of beating Michigan, but I just think there's some landmines on that that schedule. Uh, I think they lose to Georgia rather comfortably, which will hurt them. Uh, I, I think Virginia at home after Georgia is a tricky spot. Uh, Virginia Tech at home after Michigan. Uh, they've yet to beat Stanford in the Brian Kelly era on the road. They get that to wrap up the season. Boston College is always an annoying game, and that's after Navy when you have to face that triple option. So I think a best-case scenario, Notre Dame's looking at a 10-2 and season, which personally I'd be fine with. Um, but, you know, I, I was a little disappointed in the um, – in, in Ian Book's play, which is, you know, a good thing in an 18-point win. But I think the defense, Kevin, you lose a first-round pick on your in the middle of your D-line in Jerry Tiller. He gets drafted by the Chargers. You lose a two-time captain, uh, linebacker in Drew Tranquil. You lose your leading tackler and Tavon Coney. And you lose a, a consensus All-American cornerback in Julian Love. They lost a lot on defense. And uh, I love their edge rushers, but ultimately, uh, this team it, to me is not good enough to make a run. will be—I think they're good enough to be a top ten pro team this year. But like I said, you know, you go to you're going to Athens at night. Uh, that that's going to be that, that. To me, that's a two. That's
0: a two touchdown loss. All right, uh we'll come back and I'll get some of your favorite picks for for the weekend. But let's go to the NFL here for a moment. Give me some over season over/unders that you really love.
3: Uh I'm high on the Eagles. I know a lot of people are high on the Eagles. I think that over/under is at 10 now. Um so I, I would I would lay that. I got uh, 10
0: and I... a half on my site.
3: Yeah, I mean, that, that that's starting to get into that tricky spot. I like the Cowboys a lot, too, uh, now that Zeke is back. I just think they have so much talent. I think both of those teams are playoff teams, and I think they're both good looks for futures. I think the Cowboys you can get at 20-1 to to win the Super Bowl, which I actually think is a, a pretty good bet. Um, I like the Vikings to win the NFC North, 2-1. to uh, I really like that spot for the Vikings. Um, you know, I think it's a coin toss between those three teams. I think you're getting decent value. They went out. They... Ad- addressed that offensive line. They drafted Gra- Garrett Bradbury out of NC State, plug-and-play center there. They, a- they added weapons uh, to an offense that already had a lot of weapons. Dalvin Cook, healthy. Alexander Madison from Boise State, third-round pick. They got Irv Smith Jr. in the second round, a tight end to compliment uh, Rudolph there. And, you know, Kirk Cousins, as much as everyone
0: hates him in D.C., you look at his numbers and I well, know... Not everybody hates him in D.C. <laughs> we just you hear I... from the people that hate right. him in D.C. I There's mean, a lot of, a- you know, it's funny because I'm gonna, I'm going gonna inter- to interrupt you here for for one second. There's people that that can't stand them are definitely a loud minority in my opinion. I think the majority of football fans in this town are pretty sharp. Um, and they recognize that the Redskins made a mistake. From this standpoint, they didn't sign him when they could have for a lot of money. They didn't trade him when they should have traded him after they decided they didn't want him. But he was a perfect fit for Jay Gruden's offense, and he would that team last year. I said this during the season last year that that team last year with Kirk Cousins, the Redskins team with a an improved defense, and then this year's team with Kirk Cousins. This is going to anger some of you, but I trust me. I know a lot more. Of you agree with me that this year's team, I think would have been a team that could potentially win 10 plus games, um, with Gruden and Kirk, you know, in what would have been what year five together. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I digress. I actually don't like Minnesota this year. I, I, I have, I don't know why I don't because they've tried to improve their offensive line. They've, they they've, you know, upgraded their, their coordinator situation. They've got the influence of Gary Kubiak. They're going to put more play action, you know, into the offense for Kirk. There's something just off though. Like I I've read a lot of Kirk comments, you know, during the off season and he's already excuse making a little bit, which is unlike him. And I, I have this weird hunch that he's uncomfortable um there so i'm off minnesota a little bit but they do have a, they, they've got some talent but but continue i am with you on philadelphia and dallas i agree with both of those
3: yeah i bought philadelphia to win the division at, or sorry to win the nfc at six to one mm-hmm. uh, i think that's down to five to one um yeah the cowboys look i hate the cowboys growing up in dc but you know at 20 to one to win the super bowl with that talent i think is a decent long shot bet um, I'm actually fading the Saints a little bit this year. I know everyone says, "Oh, they're going to be so motivated." I saw a old Drew Brees at the end of the season last year. They're over unders ten and a half. I like the under uh, in that spot for the Saints. That's a lot of wins to expect, and I think Atlanta's going to be better. I like Carolina uh, as long as Cam Newton stays healthy. So I like the under ten and a half wins there uh, for the Saints. Uh, I think the NFC North. You know, everyone's talking about the Browns. I kind of like the Steelers to win that North, division. Yeah. AFC North excuse me and I think I saw it I want to say that the Ravens were 4 to 1 to win the AFC North which to me seems like in, insane value for for a team that won that division I mean you know it's it's what you believe in you know uh, in Lamar Jackson they've got young wide receivers uh, I like Mark Andrews a lot their tight end uh, they drafted 2 years ago out of Oklahoma um, so and uh, I'm trying to think AFC wise um, you know, the AFC South is fascinating, Kevin. I don't know what you think about it. Um I, I can't believe in Nick Foles as a great quarterback for sixteen games. I actually think the market went a little too overboard on the Andrew Luck injury, and if you could get, you know, seven to two, four to one odds for the Colts to win the AFC South, I think Chris Ballard has done a great job building that roster. It's a massive hit to lose a guy like Andrew Luck, but I just think it's a decent flyer to take on a team that's pretty healthy, and you got T. Y. Hilton, and uh, they had, didn't they draft Paris Campbell, and they got Marlon yeah. Mack. So I, I like the weapons they still have there. They're building up that defense. Darius Leonard was really good last year, so I, I think people just com- qu- too quickly wrote off the Colts. And what is a division that seems, you know, for the taking? You know, the Houston Texans have their flaws, and uh, you know none of their wide receivers outside DeAndre Hopkins can stay healthy. They've got a massive question mark at running back. And they've got a first-place schedule, which means they have to play, you know, the Patriots and the Ravens, uh, and, you know, other teams in that division don't. And I guess the final one i say is the Bengals are going to be tragically bad. I-, I was able to get them under six. They're going to suck. They're yeah. really bad.
0: Yeah, there's, um, you know, I- I'll uh, I'll give a couple of, of my NFL props because I-, I-, I wanted to do this segment with you rather than on my own. Um, it's easier to do it that way with somebody who's into it like I am. Um, there are a couple of you know I'm always looking for the, the teams that are are that I should short and teams that I should you know buy in a big way um, because of value. I, I love Denver this year. I know I'm the only one. Actually, Scott likes them a lot too, but n- no one else is talking about Denver. Their defense is going to be very, very good, and with a head coach who's as good a defensive coordinator as there is anywhere. Um, In football, so I I really I like Denver a lot out out of the AFC in particular. I think Jacksonville's defense is really good, and I think it's good enough to win that division. Um, So I sort of like some value there at you know eight eight and a half or wherever they are on the on the total number. I played Denver. I played Denver uh, by the way to I played their their over, um, and I got that at seven and a half. I Played them to win to make the playoffs, and I played that uh, played them. Sorry to win the division as well. um I like a couple of teams in the NFC that no one really likes. I think Carolina's better than people think. Um, I'm definitely going to you know play over seven and a half, eight on the Panthers this year. I like Seattle a lot, and even more so since they added Clowney and their numbers like eight and a half. I could see them winning eleven. I'm going to short. I I'm with you a little bit on the Saints. Maybe I'm rooting for it because I hated the whining coming out of that city for it's still going on, Um, but I I still think that they will win that division. I think Carolina's going to – and Carolina's played them well at times with Ron Rivera, but the team that's played the division winner of the last two years in the NFC West the best has been Seattle. You know, Seattle's really given the Rams problems, even when they've lost games like last year, two very close games – I like Seattle to win that division and the Rams not to make the postseason. Well,
3: I think you're onto something with the Rams. Did you see their first week line?
0: uh, Their first week line is short on the road. They
3: are two-and-a-half-point favorites at Carolina. The world is going to be on the Rams in that spot.
0: Yeah, I had Carolina uh, in the smell test, um, plus the number uh, at home against the Rams. Um, But, you know, the – it's funny because the NFC is loaded and it's deep and the AFC really isn't. And you really have, though, four teams more than any other in the NFL that everybody seems to be dialed in on. And they are the four teams that finished in the top four last year, the Chiefs and the Patriots out of the AFC and the Saints and the Rams out of the NFC. Now, the NFC is deep, and you've got teams that definitely have the capability of supplanting either one of those teams. But my my guess was that one of those four wasn't going to make the playoffs because it's the NFL, and I just picked the Rams to be that team because I could see Seattle winning that division. I could definitely see that.
3: Yeah, and I mean, I, I... – I think you've said this before, and I agree. Uh, the hardest thing to do is predicting division winners in the NFL. Everyone thinks it's easy in August, and then come Dece- December, it's like, oh yeah. wow, I, I didn't see that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, that's why I'm shorting the Saints a little bit. You know, I mean, the over/under 10 and a half, Kevin. Yeah. I mean, if they go 10 and six, you win your bet. So, and, you've, and we've seen, and I'm looking at the Westgate Superbook right now. I mean, it, the juice is minus 150 on the under. So, you know, the wise guys are on the under in yep. that spot too.
0: Yeah, the, the teams that I'm shorting a little bit. I'm actually shorting Baltimore a little bit. Last year, I loved them. Um, I they lost too. Forget about the quarterback situation and the kind of offense they're going to play, which is going to be very interesting to watch. Uh, they they lost too much on defense. You know, no more Suggs, no more Mosley, no more Weddle. Um, they, they, they lost a lot off of what I thought was the best defense I've watched in the NFL in the last five years. In fact, I think their 2017 defense was one of the best defenses, and that team didn't make the postseason. It should have, if not for a 4th and 19 prayer by the Bengals in the last game of the year. But um, I, I, I just the Ravens, to me, I, we're, that number's like 8.5, somewhere around there. I, I see them winning 6-7 games this year in a very difficult division. Uh, and there was another team. Um, I, I'm shorting Green Bay in a very difficult division with, I think, just better teams in that division. And then the one team I didn't mention on the buy side, I like Pittsburgh this year. I think Pittsburgh's going to have a, a very good season. I know they lost Antonio Brown, and Antonio Brown now has been suspended by the Raiders. I mean, that's going swimmingly well. Um, <laughs> but they they, 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 it's not like he left the cupboard bare at wide receiver with James Washington and Smith-Schuster and – you know, they've, they've got talent on that team. And I, I, I have a feeling this is one of those, you know, additions by subtraction thing. I, I like Pittsburgh, you know, over nine and a half to win 10, 11 games this year.
3: Yeah, I think Green Bay. There's been some sharp money on them to win the division. I know. I, I don't. I don't see it. I mean, I, I, who who doesn't like Aaron Rodgers? But outside of Devonte Adams, who's he throwing the ball to? And they spent. They did everything this off season to shore up the defense, which is fine. It was a bad defense, but my God, give one of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen lace it up, some weapons to throw to, have some fun out there. So. Yeah. Uh, you, know, I, you know, we'll see with the
0: Packers. I like Buffalo and the Jets, too. I think both of those teams, especially the yeah. Jets, could be um, significantly improved. Um, and I and I and I ha- it wouldn't surprise me if New England wins the division, but with a lesser record this year because I think the division might be, not Miami, but I think Buffalo and the Jets are both better teams than they've been uh, in recent years. All right, let's get to this, this weekend. Tell me who you like college and then who you like in the NFL. I've already done my smell test.
3: All right, uh, yeah, I'm curious. Uh, I'll listen to the podcast later to hear your smell test, but usually you and I are, are pretty lockstep with some smell test picks. I love UCLA this weekend laying seven and a half against San Diego State. Uh, I think the world saw UCLA on a big stage just put out a big turd and a tunch- punch bowl. Um, they were missing a lot of players. They were missing Joshua Kelly. Uh, Dorian Robinson – or Dorian Thompson Robinson was awful – had two drops in the red zone. Still, that team, Kevin, was a scoop and score from getting a push at Cincinnati, a team that very well could win the AAC. So, uh, San Diego State beat Weber State uh, last weekend,
0: six to nothing. <laughs> so.
3: I like UCLA. Isn't that the best thing about college
0: football is, like, you can get any kind of game in college football. The NFL games all pretty much look the same. They're exciting. Don't get me wrong. But you can get 72-56, and then you turn it on, and it's you 13-10 late in the fourth quarter.
3: A couple other games, and this is one of those games I'm just curious. And I I, (laughs) – I bought a future on this team just because I, I think it's it's about time they win their conference. Pittsburgh has an 11 a.m. kick, Kevin, at home against Ohio from the MAC. This line has dropped to five. Ohio's got a very good quarterback in Nathan Rourke. You know who their coach is? It's still Frank it's
0: Solich. It's still Frank Solich. Yep.
3: And Ohio's a good football team. Pittsburgh yeah. looked bad last week against UVA, and that stadium is going to be completely empty in 11 a.m. Yeah. kick time. I like Ohio, and I think it wouldn't be the craziest thing if they won that game outright. So, I think there's a little stench to that game. I'm sure you've mentioned Maryland. That game is very stinky. That line movement is is pretty crazy. I'm curious if it's if it's just a massive overreaction. Yeah, I
0: mean, just so you know, I had Ohio in the smell test, and the Maryland thing, the, I, it, there's too much split sharp action now yeah. late, and there's split public action. I'm, I stayed off that game. I, I think Maryland's got a chance to win. I think they're probably even teams on paper, um, but I I don't I, I didn't play it.
3: Another game that I that I love is a team that lost Week One, and uh, people were high on them. Missouri is oh, home yeah. to West Virginia. Yeah, they're a thirteen and a half point know. favorite. I love Missouri's going to mop the West Virginia is bad. Yeah. they are very very bad this year. Probably should have lost to James Madison last weekend. So I think Missouri wins that game big. They're back home. They had some awful turnovers. They couldn't stop Wyoming, uh, but they went up fourteen nothing in a blink of an eye. Uh, in Laramie last Saturday night uh, I had Missouri so I, I'm not thrilled about that I also have their team you know they're over for the season so um, I'm a little bullish on the Tigers but I, I love Missouri in that spot if you can get it at minus minus thirteen and a half, grab it uh, because I've seen it tick up to 14 a little bit in some spots
0: yeah I've got them too um, what about the NFL have you looked at it yet
3: Yeah, the NFL, I mean, the biggest game, probably my biggest play will be the Panthers. I love the Panthers in that spot. Uh, Two-and-a-half-point dogs at home against the Rams. You know everybody's going to be on the Rams. And uh, I like San Francisco going to Tampa Bay. That game's a pick. I thought Tampa Bay might be a two- or three-point favorite. Uh, There's been a little bit of line movement there. Um, trending towards San Francisco, maybe a little bit buyback on Tampa Bay. But I kind of like San Francisco in that spot going on the road. I know they haven't looked great in the preseason. Um, I'm not a huge Jimmy G fan, but I like Kyle Shanahan. Uh, I I thought there was way too much love for them last year, and now there's not a ton. So I think San Francisco, I like them in that spot on the road at Tampa Bay and uh you know what i'm gonna play indianapolis if i can get it at seven plus seven at at los angeles i'm gonna play the colts because i just think the market went a little too nuts on that but my biggest play nfl is definitely gonna be carolina plus two and a half against the rams
0: um just so you know i i because i didn't respond to this i like jacoby Brissett, and I, i think the colts still have a chance to have a decent season i just like jacksonville more right now in that division um, thanks for doing this. I always enjoy it. We'll be texting back and forth all weekend long. Hopefully it's a better weekend here in week two <laughs> and week one of the NFL season. Follow Tim on Twitter at Murray and watch him on the daily line on NBC Sports Washington uh, in the afternoons into the early evenings. He's doing it with Michael, Jack- uh, Michael Jenkins and Sarah Perlman, who was part of the Orioles network, right?
3: Yep, yeah, she was a sideline reporter for the O's.
0: Yep, and she's doing a great job. Um, Great show. Thanks as always. Uh, we'll, We'll chat over the weekend.
3: You bet.